Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty. Look, if you're looking to sell commercial properties, office, retail, industrial, senior housing, hotels, you're looking to sell apartments or land anywhere in the Southeast, please reach out to us, bullrealty.com, or you can contact me directly, Michael at bullrealty.com. Well, we've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk about apartments, multifamily. You know, multifamily has certainly been on a, a terrific roll. Uh, you know, rent increases, um, the escalations on rents has just been uh, historically above historic numbers. It's just been crazy for many years now. And of course, sales volume has been off the chart. Cap rates just significantly low. Prices per unit is like almost unbelievable to a guy who started selling apartments 35 years ago and seeing those prices is like, whoa, what a hot market. But there's still a lot of activity. There's still a lot of buyers interested in multifamily. Seems like there's still a bit of a shortage in in most market. Uh, But obviously the Fed's really been raising rates like crazy lately. Here we are, beginning of October 2022. And so it's going to start softening and is start softening the market. Well, what's happening with multifamily performance, uh, with vacancy, with rental rates? What are we starting to see right now? You're in luck. We have Carl Whitaker here. He is with RealPage, and he's joining us on video and on uh, audio on the podcast. Carl, good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Michael. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And uh, Carl, that's my first question really to you is I'm wondering about rental rates because haven't we had just really significant annual rental rate increases in most all apartments across the country? And then and then what are you seeing now? What's your latest numbers on rental rates? Yeah, up until, you know, the past month or so worth of data, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a market that wasn't seeing you know, to some degree of variability, but double digit rent growth uh, on a year over year basis, you know, the the nation overall rents are up since January 2020, roughly ballparking, you know, call it 25%. Um, so, you know, the, we've really had a, a sustained and unprecedented run of rent growth across the nation, fueled by some really solid fundamentals that I'm sure we'll dive into. Looking at the data points today, though, it does appear, and we've been saying this for a few months now, but in the preliminary third quarter data, it does appear that we've finally reached that inflection point. Uh, you know, we, uh, some of the numbers we saw in the summer suggested that maybe there was some ongoing normalization of performance. You were kind of coming out of the stratosphere into somewhat more normal territory. But I think today it's fair to start characterizing some of the performance that we're seeing is maybe more of an actual slowdown due to some fundamentals that we'll dive into here shortly. Might it be considered almost a correction that rents have gone up just so fast? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we'll get that a lot over this next quarter. I want, I'm not going to go as far to say correction because we're not forecasting rent cuts in any in any of the the, the forthcoming quarters. Uh, there's a little bit of a messy story there. You know, uh, some third-party economic prognosticators are forecasting a mild recession in 2023, and even the Fed has now said uh, on record that uh, their near-term goal is to, uh, you know, look at the unemployment rate and focus less on the uh, 
the demand side of the equation through rising interest rates. Doesn't mean that there aren't more interest rate hikes coming, but uh, you know, I, I don't know that we're in for a full correction by any means, but I certainly think that we're starting to see some of the fundamentals that were uh, driving such incredible growth over the past year or two starting to come back down into the more normalized uh, territory. And I think something else to consider is that a lot of the demand that materialized over, let's call it the past 18 months, was probably to some degree borrowed from future years. And I think now we're starting to see uh, starting to see how we're now paying the popper in that regard. And demand doesn't run forever. Demand is cyclical. I think we've finally got to the, the backside of that demand slope, and we're going to take some time to uh, – uh, you know, get back into more, again, quote-unquote, normal territory. Yeah. And if you look at the last uh, three months, uh, let's say the last quarter, uh, what are some examples of, of what you've seen for uh, escalations in rents? Yeah, so we're still seeing rents grow. They're just not growing at, at the same pace that they were over the past, you know, the previous three months or previous six months for that matter. Uh, you know, some of the things that have really surprised us thus far have been that, and, and again, looking at some of the preliminary third quarter absorption numbers, it appears that we're actually going to see negative absorption for the nation at large in third quarter 2022. And that's not uncommon in the fourth or first quarter of a year, but it's pretty uncommon in the third quarter of a year. So I think, again, you're starting to see that some of that demand that materialized in 2022 early on and uh, late in 2021 was maybe dipping into the bucket of the future. Operators are still able to push rents because we're still dealing with a structural undersupply of housing, but that growth is really starting to come down quickly. Yeah, so what do you forecast for rent growth uh, through the end of the year? Yeah, through the end of the year, we're still looking at solid numbers. You know, you've had nine months previous to this that's still adding on some really phenomenal growth. And and I want to characterize, too, when we're saying 2023 that, uh, you know, it appears that a slowdown is materializing, we're certainly not saying that it's a, you know, a, a crash or a collapse by any means. So I just want to make sure that that's uh, reiterated. You know, looking at 2022, we're probably going to look at, you know, rent growth coming around double digits on a year-over-year basis. Uh, 2023, by year end, probably somewhere around 4% for the year. But if you if you averaged that out for 2023, rather than just using year end number, I think you're probably going to look at maybe 5% for the year. So still really solid. It's just we're coming off of a year or two of double digit increases in a lot of these markets. Yeah. What, what would you suggest might happen for rental rates and, and occupancy in the fourth quarter. When you look at you know the third quarter results, things slowing down a little bit, you said we had negative absorption overall. What would you expect for just the, looking at the fourth quarter? Fourth quarter, I think we'll probably expect to see rent cuts. And again, that's normal. You know, you, you tend to see um, operators just don't have as much front door traffic. Not a lot of people are signing new leases around Thanksgiving or Christmas. Uh, so I think we'll see modest rent cuts, but again, that's normal seasonality uh, within the leasing cycle. Uh, I think what we're going to want to watch is what happens with um, uh, specifically resident retention. Do we see some of these leases that were signed maybe uh, last year due to the A seasonality of the year? Do we see some of those expire and never really quite come back into the, the, the picture? 
Uh, we'll also want to keep an eye on how lease-up properties perform. We're about to run into what is, I believe, a 40-year high in new construction delivering. So I think if we see lease-up absorption slow down significantly, then we're going to see some Class A operators maybe start to dip into whether it's softer rent growth, maybe even concessions to compete with those lease-ups, whose first and foremost goal is just to fill the units. And you mentioned uh, kind of Class A, institutional quality properties. So what do you see there as far as performance goes? Uh, how does it vary between kind of Class A and the other class uh, communities? Yeah, that's a good question because we're starting to see, uh, again, this kind of, call it bifurcating, or I guess in this case almost trifurcating because there's three classes of, uh, of uh, performance readings. And what I mean by that is Class C fundamentals. We saw resident retention really start to drop fairly substantially in the summer months. I think that maybe some of that was uh, due to maybe some backlogged evictions in some states. I think also you're starting to see inflationary pressure for Class C apartments um, eat away at more discretionary income, therefore, uh, you know, higher or an, an increase in delinquencies. Also, starting to see some uh, challenges when it comes to screening and creditworthiness. You know, starting to see some uh, some maybe not full-on red flags there, but certainly some some warning signs for that product class. Class A, I think, is positioned better just by and large. One of the things that Class A can benefit from over the next few months that maybe it didn't in previous slowing markets is that even though single-family home prices are also starting to see this moderation, their growth over the past two years was so rapid, not to mention with a, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but close to a 7% mortgage rate now that that monthly home payment for the starter home inventory has gone up so rapidly that I don't think you're running a risk of loss of renters to single-family home purchase. I think the challenge with Class A in particular over the near term, though, is A, if we see further erosion of consumer sentiment, do you see residents moving down the product spectrum into maybe Class B apartments, maybe doubling up in an effort to save money? On top of that, how do some of these Class A properties deal with lease-ups in the pipeline? And again, I'm going to get the exact number wrong, but it's something like 850,000 units expected to deliver over the next 24 months, which is, again, probably the, it's the highest we have on record and probably the highest since the mid-80s. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So you, you mentioned on uh, Class C, maybe uh, inflation uh, impacting performance there, and uh, in, in Class A, maybe the higher interest rates uh, for home buyers may be creating more demand there. What are some of the other factors, Carl, that, that you think could um, affect uh, performance of apartments moving forward? Yeah, there's always a, there's always a set of a set of variables that you know you have your knowns, and again we know interest rates, we know that uh, demand wasn't going to have this forever runway at its current pace, but I think it's maybe some of the unknowns that we're going to look back a year from now and say, oh, we should have seen that coming. Um, if I had to guess, just overall, I would say that you're going to see some of these uh, uh, some of these markets, especially over the coming few months, that. Uh, maybe maybe don't fit the profile of your uh, your listeners base quite as much being a little bit more southeast concentrated, but some of these higher rent coastal gateway markets, something that's going to create a drag on uh, full potential revenue growth is that while your new leases may be getting decent rent growth, your renewal rent growth is inherently capped by local cap rate or I'm sorry local uh, rent control measures. And because of those rent control measures, even if fundamentals could say you could push rents at, you know, say 10% for an in-place resident, maybe your local jurisdiction is only allowing 7%. And that may not sound like much, but it actually does erode over the uh, 
the course of a you know five to seven to ten year property hold, especially for certain strategies such as value add, where you can't necessarily bring a unit up to market prices based on your expense ratio. One other thing too on expense ratios, I think that that's something we're definitely going to want to keep an eye on. We're starting to see demand is eroding in a lot of ways. We're not necessarily seeing an erosion of expenses. You know, we've seen the biggest increase over the past two years, as a matter of fact, has come from the taxes and insurance tranche of the expense tree. That one isn't inflationary driven per se, and I don't see a scenario in which that slows down significantly. But even on utilities, payroll, et cetera, these other more inflationary, um, uh, you know, some of these other expense categories that do run into inflationary pressure, those don't appear to be slowing down. So I think we're going to see NOI in the event of demand slowing, uh, you know, not at risk of going negative by any means, but certainly um, coming down from its recent levels. Yeah, that's uh, that's very interesting to look at that. So you may have some NOI that's uh, basically flat, even if you've had rental increases, right? Because your uh, your expenses uh, rising. Um, let's talk about uh, cap rates because you know that's uh, something that uh, is on everyone's mind these days. You know, what's kind of the recent curve? You know, what what are you seeing out there for cap rates on multifamily? So I can point to some national stats, and nationally we're seeing cap rates are in the mid, uh, maybe upper four range in select markets. Let's call it 4.5% nationally, 4.6%. There's a handful of markets that maybe you're lucky to find some 5%, I mean, right at 5% cap rates. Um, I, I don't know if this was uh, you know, just one anecdote or if this particular group was uh, just seeing how far they could, uh, you know, how far they could uh, push the the boundary here. But I've been hearing of some deals in the low three percent and even some upper two percent in a handful of the Florida markets. Uh, again, I don't have the data that says yes, I've actually seen those cap rates tighten that much. But we do know that they have tightened over the past year. A lot of competition, a lot of uh, increasing price per units, a lot of um, you know, differences in that bid-ask gap. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that uh, starts to shake out, especially in this event that demand starts to slow down. And again, slowdown isn't necessarily a crash by any means, but you're not going to see the same level of rent growth that was keeping NOI boosted to its current degree if expenses continue to grow at their current pace. Yeah. And Carl, if you look at uh, cap rates, say, from the beginning of the year um, on deals that close then, and then the same type of property that closes you know, last month or in this last quarter, uh, are you seeing a cap rate uh, change there? What's, your, what's the variance you're seeing on, on average? Yeah, we're seeing a little bit of compression, I would say 20 to 30 basis points nationally, which, um, you know, might not sound like a lot, but considering just the period in which that's happened, it's a decent amount. You know, it's some of the fastest compression we've seen since, uh, I'm going to get the exact year wrong again, but, you know, say 2010 to 2011, when the market was coming out of the Great Recession, there was obviously some very fast moving cap rates. But yeah, definitely some compression. It it may not jump out on paper, but certainly happening, um, you know, for that, that same store set of assets, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, when the close sales close and they get reported and, you know, there's some time lapse in there, right? Uh, we're, we're selling apartments in, in the Southeast and we're starting to see cap rates that are at least, uh, you know, 250, you know, only 25 basis points higher. Um, then we saw at the beginning of the year, and then maybe on Class C properties, uh, 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 50 basis points higher, which isn't significant when you think about you know interest rates that went up maybe 250 basis points. 
Yeah, that's a great point too. Within context of the interest rates, I will say too, this is maybe worth a, a quick asterisk here. Uh, the data that I'm looking at for cap rates is a quarter lagged. So I'm really curious to see what third quarter data shows because I've been hearing, uh, you know, some cap rate move, cap rates moving up in some instances, which uh, I appreciate you sharing that because, uh, you know, again, I've been hearing similar from some uh, some folks on your side of the table. Something else that I think kind of struck us in some of the data we were looking at is that, again, we don't quite yet see it because our data is a quarter lagged on this, but we've been hearing that a lot of uh, acquisitions teams and brokers, whether it was planned or not, it almost kind of took a summer break. I've heard the joke that, uh, you know, it sounds like some groups are finally back from their golf outings because we are seeing more movement in the sales transaction space. But I think third quarter numbers are going to show that uh, transaction numbers or transaction volumes, I should say, did start to dip. And again, it kind of mirrors what we're seeing on some of the performance readings too. The question is just how do those fourth quarter and going forward into first quarter next year numbers from the brokerage side look, do you start to see that appetite erode or is it still there? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And some of the other um, property types, I lead a team that sells office buildings personally, and uh, we're seeing some cap rates uh, really rise there, uh, you know, month to month here. And uh, I think there's an opportunity for users and buyers in, in the office um, sector. Uh, but certainly if you're, you're a seller, you, you got to, you know, hire your cap rate out there now. And uh, I think we're starting to see it for uh, multifamily as well. Um, are you seeing any differences, back to performance for a minute, Carl, between uh, central business district and, and suburban uh, communities? You know, one of the more interesting trends over the past year is I think that, uh, you know, it was, it, a lot of groups thought that because suburban areas surged ahead in 2020 and early 2021, with a lot of that surge maybe coming at the expense of urban cores, you know, we had a lot of urban flat during that period. Today, we've seen some demand come back into urban cores, but that demand or that performance doesn't seem to be coming at the expense of suburban areas. And I think the reason that's important is because, yes, to answer your question, we are seeing urban fundamentals improve. Lease trade out, for instance, in urban cores is roughly where it's at in suburban areas. But what I think is interesting is that the snapback effect appears to be pretty muted in the urban core. Put it another way, we're seeing that same sort of bend in some of these numbers, that, that, that moderation, that slowdown, whatever you may call it, happening at the same pace in urban cores and suburban areas. So I don't know that urban cores are going to start to outperform anytime soon their suburban counterparts because they do appear to be showing similar trends today, despite some of that demand in 2020 and 2021 flowing into the suburbs at the expense of urban cores. And Carl, uh, we're talking with Carl Whitaker with RealPage about multifamily performance. And uh, Carl, you mentioned that uh, some markets in Florida are, are really hot uh, with some really low cap rates and, and uh, strong performance. Uh, are there any other markets that, that you're seeing that are just performing really well? Are there some, are there some markets that, uh, that you're seeing a bit of softness? Yeah, the, and again, the performance readings by market are starting to show a little bit of bifurcation, some areas that are maybe becoming a little bit strained. You know, I'll point out Phoenix, for instance. Phoenix in much of 2020 and 2021 was the top five market in the country. Today, performance has cooled off really, really quickly. Um, you know, if you look at the Southeast, I think you're seeing some similar trends and some of those quick out of the gate markets, you know, the Miamis of the world, the Tampas of the world, Tampa in particular, starting to cool off pretty quickly. 
What I will note as well, though, is that there are some Southeast markets, and really the Southeast overall, I should say, is still holding on pretty well relative to national norms. And, and, and again, I'll go back to that gateway comparison earlier. Uh, the Atlantas of the world, the Miamis of the world, the Orlandas of the world, they still seem to be performing well. And that while the gateway areas are recovering, that's not coming at the expense of that type of market profile. So I think that that's a positive signal long-term, especially in the Southeast markets. If I was active in the Southeast and if I was uh, you know, on the other side of the table here, I think now would be a good time to start looking at maybe some of those under the radar diamond in the rough markets in the Southeast in particular, you know, maybe looking at markets the size of Knoxville or uh, Asheville, North Carolina or Fayetteville, Arkansas, you know, not the big, big markets, but not your super tiny ones either. I do think that there's opportunity in some of those metros just by virtue of their size, meaning that they've probably been looked over by some of the bigger national players that still offer a lot of promise to the, you know, the mid-sized groups. Interesting. Yeah, we have uh, in Knoxville a um, office deal that's a, a great opportunity and a very strong uh, market, and, and in Chattanooga, and I love, I love that uh, Tennessee market. It's it's incredible, and and we do have a, a tremendous amount of listeners on the on the West Coast and and, and in New York, and I think one of the uh, markets that uh, a lot of people are always curious about is, is New York City and some of those major markets like Chicago, especially the central business district, because, you know, there were so many people I mean, officing at home, right, and not in these downtowns. Uh, what, what, what are you seeing for performance in those types of markets? Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm glad you say that, too, because I think that that's good to, good to note that, you know, the, uh, the urban cores in these markets, these big marquee markets are still you know, the big gravitational pool, you know, there's still something about downtown Chicago. I think that's, for what it's worth, I think it's the best city in the country, uh, you know, just from a from a, a visiting and architectural perspective. But, you know, a lot of the quality of life drivers that made Manhattan, Manhattan, or downtown Chicago, Chicago, those have come back in a big way. And we haven't seen performance that's uh, nearly as weak as we did in 2020 or 2021. So I think performance is definitely stabilized in, again, New York, um, Chicago, downtown Los Angeles, even, you know, some of these markets that were hit really hard over the past two years. Uh, the one thing I would note is that, you know, again, we might just not see continued outperformance in those urban cores relative to their suburban areas because we're starting to see those patterns uh, or, or the trend line, I should say, match each other in terms of its direction. Still have lots to like about in the urban core for sure, but I just don't know that we're going to see outperformance again relative to the suburban areas or at the expense of suburban areas. Yeah, maybe it doesn't hurt su suburban markets, uh, but I would expect uh, central business district communities to start performing better as some of these uh, big companies uh, get more of their folks back in the offices and maybe some of these folks that kind of moved uh, further away uh, when they could work from home may decide that hey uh, I want to get back in Chicago I want to get back in in the city of New York and uh, and live closer uh, to my office so um, what would you leave the audience with here Carl to think about for multifamily moving forward yeah I think long term you look at multifamily and it's still in many ways uh, one of, if not the favored asset class for a lot of investors, you know, it's still got a lot to like about it. And sure, there's other things to like about other investment classes and real, uh, commercial real estate types. You know, you just have to really know the type of market you're working in. I do think that with multifamily in particular, though, 
don't mistake the current numbers as, again, a collapse is imminent, a collapse is on the horizon. I do think that we're just starting to see this, the, the, the fundamentals turn a little bit, some of that being from borrowed demand from the future, some of that just being from the, the simple nature of cyclicality of real estate. You know, at the end of the day, real estate is cyclical, uh, you know, at least in terms of the demand side. Now, the supply side of real estate, that's a more structural thing. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, if, if a market is undersupplied, it takes a long time for that supply to catch up. Conversely, if a market is oversupplied, it takes a long time for things to normalize. And I don't think we're seeing oversupplied markets this time around the same way we were in 2006, 2007. Sure, you've got some pockets that are going to see a lot of development. And even though the national numbers are at their highest in, again, 30, 40 years, I do think that demand was strong enough over the past few years that it's going to be more than enough to maintain pace with supply. So, you know, maybe an adjustment period, but certainly not uh, anything telling us thus far that we're in for a, a really rocky ride either. Yeah. Would you expect that uh, new supply would uh, start the pace down a little bit with higher interest rates and, uh, uh, and, the, and the market changing a little bit as well? Yeah, that's a good question. And I wish I had my crystal ball for that one, because I think it'll be really interesting to see if that happens. You know, in theory, we've heard labor is hard to get. We've heard that construction costs have risen. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's certainly not cheaper today to buy land than it was at any point in the past 10 years. So I am curious to see if that curbs the appetite for development. Um, you know, I think what you'll see is if there is any sort of material slowdown in performance, you may see a one, two, three quarter easing in permit activity. It just takes a long time for the supply pipeline to respond to current performance fundamentals just by nature of how long it takes to develop new assets. But it's a good question. I'll be really, really interested to see if we do start to see a slowdown in construction three, four, five years out. Yeah, to your point, we won't even start seeing it for a year, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And we're seeing a really interesting mismatch today of, uh, you know, what gets permitted versus what gets started. And there's, you know, a gap between even that. So you're, you're, you're totally right. It's just just because you submit a permit today doesn't mean you might not get started for another year. That's right. Well, Carl Whitaker, thanks for joining us, sir. Great information as usual. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And if you'd like to know more from Carl Whitaker and the good folks at RealPage, their website is realpage.com. Uh, do check it out. And thank you for checking out the show. Thanks for listening. And if you will, hey, share the show with someone. Uh, pay it forward, if you will. Thanks for listening. And please connect with us on your favorite social media. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Buxton. Take leasing, site selection, and due diligence to the next level. Make the right decisions with on-demand mobile data. Visit buxtonco.com. By Bull Realty. For proven commercial real estate asset and occupancy solutions, contact me. My email is michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success. Expert level commercial real estate broker training. Cloud Access One, up to 21 one-hour videos. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Thank you for reviewing, subscribing, and sharing America's commercial real estate show.